church is not about a building. It's not about bricks and mortar. It's, it's actually about people. And I uh, shared with you yes, uh, last week uh, a really important term, and that term was um, ekklesia, a Greek term, which, which really is the foundation, means being called out unto. And so we understand that we, the people, uh, the people of God, especially believers, that we're, we're not called to be inside of a building, but we are called to actually be outside, and that the church is reminiscent, the church is the foundation. It's built upon a common confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. And last week we talked about that, a really important um, confession that Peter gave when Jesus asked the question, who do you say that I am? Today we're going we're gonna to talk about a second part of this, and that is that the, the church is full of good people. So, so when we think about that, again, it's not a building, it's, it's you. So, so Christians, people of God, are good people. And I want to share with us today about how we can ensure that we, we really live into that, live into being good people. We don't want to just like talk about being somebody good. We don't want to just like think about being somebody good. We actually want to be somebody that lives out the gospel of Jesus in the world and in all the aspects in our local community, our families, our schools, our workplaces, wherever it is that we make a difference. So I'm going to talk to you about a, a little bit of controversy today. And I want you just to kind of hang with me as we go through this, because I think that as I present this and we look at the words of Jesus and we wrestle also with the words of the Apostle Paul, I think it'll start sparking something in your head that maybe how you have handled this in the past, you knew what to do, but, but it's, it's hard. It's a hard teaching. And we're going to find out today that, that, that for some of us, we've really struggled with this. But my hope is when we finish with uh, our, our time teaching today, that you, that you leave with a, a renewed sense of hope that you know how to do this, and you know how to be the person God's created you to be. So what are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about how we handle conflict as brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, as everybody's getting up and leaving the building and turning off their TVs and uh, no longer watching us on, online, but, but seriously, let's talk about conflict. This is, a, this is a huge part because to be the people of God, we've got to understand some really important things that, that we're going to also deal with conflict with each other. So let me just kind of throw this first thing out there. In order to, to deal with each other, in order to be the church, in order to be a people that is of good, we have to learn how to deal with one another. Would you agree with that? We, we kind of need to know how to deal with it. Now, listen, if you're in a close relationship with somebody, and if you've been with that person long, if you've dated or you're married or, or, or uh, if you're siblings or, or, or you live in the same household, whatever the case is, you'll find out that, that you know the little idiosyncrasies about that person's personality. Would you agree with that, right? Okay, somebody say yes. Okay, good. All right, so, so the longer we're with somebody, the more we understand. But what we also understand is that we have to learn how to deal with one another. So think about the relationships that are closest to you in your life, that the way that you make those relationships the great relationships that you can constantly go back to and build a foundation of life on is because you've learned how to deal with one another. And, and the scriptures tell us that we've got to do that as brothers and sisters in Christ, that as the church, we have to do with that as well. Now, some of y'all are thinking about, okay, that, that point about uh, we have to learn how to deal with one another. Some of you are thinking like, yeah, pastor, um, I have to learn how to deal with other people, but, but they have to learn how to deal with me. Yes, that is true. Both of those are true scenarios. So Paul is writing to a very small church, 
and Colossae. And, 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 and the size of this church is like really small. But what Paul loves about this small town church in Colossae is, is that they are seeing an, an, uh, an ignition of an igniting of their faith that, that people are loving Jesus. And he is so overwhelmed by what he's seeing there that he wants to write a letter to them. Now, for a lot of us, when we look at the scriptures, we, we understand that Paul wrote to big, big cities, right? Big churches like in Rome and, and, and in Corinth and, and, and also some of the major places like Ephesus where, where, um, where all of the seafaring business came in. But all of a sudden he's writing to this small church in Colossae. And, and to put it in perspective, Colossae is about the size of two-egg Florida, okay? All right, so how many of you know there's a two-egg Florida? Like two people. So there really is. Go Google that later. Two-egg Florida. It's about 359 miles northwest of here. And it's going to be just slightly northwest of Tallahassee up in the panhandle. Two egg so that kind of puts it in perspective. So this very small town, Paul is writing a very significant letter. In fact, some would say that his letter to the church in Colossae, to the Colossians, that that's probably one of his greatest letters. So if, you, if you're not familiar with that, go back in the New Testament and read that today. But here's what he says. He begins to start talking to them about this importance about being a part of the family of God. So they're coming together, they're, they're new people of faith, and he's wanting to make sure that they learn the dynamics of how to be the church, how to be the people. Here's what he writes. He says, chosen by God for this new life of love, he says, dress in the wardrobe of, that God picked out for you. So he's using this metaphor of putting on clothes. So some of us take a lot of time in the morning. You know, that, that song by Eric Clapton, you know, uh, it's late in the evening, um, she's wondering what clothes to wear. Well, I used to play that to my wife, Patty, and I'd kind of skip it back, wondering what clothes, wondering what clothes, wondering what clothes to wear. And, and so some of us, we put a lot of time into what we're trying to do with our clothing and the image that we project. So Paul is saying, so think about it that way. So put this stuff on like garments. And he says that God has handpicked this stuff out for you. He says compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength. Another word is meekness. He talks about, he says, discipline. He says, be even-tempered and content with second place. I mean, who wants to do that? I mean, how'd you finish the race today? Did you finish first? No, I finished second, and I'm excited. But he says, be content with second place, quick to forgive an offense, and forgive as quickly and completely as the master, as the Lord Jesus forgave you. So he talks about this need for forgiveness. He's not talking about cheap grace. Many of us use cheap grace, oh, I forgive you, and then we're like burning and seething as we leave that person because we're still mad. But he's saying, get to the root of forgiveness of the offense quickly. Work it out so that way you are forgiving others as quickly as God forgives you. And regardless of what else you put on, Paul says, he says, wear love. So all those other things are important, but he said, make sure you don't leave the building, the room, the house, wherever you are, don't leave it without having love on. Think about that. I mean, how would the world be different if every one of us wore love? How, how would politics be different? Go figure that one out. How would our marriages be different? How, how would our communities be different if we led with love in all that we do? And Paul says, this is important. He said, it's your basic all-purpose garment, never be without it. Never be without it. Always have love on that. I mean, Paul is, is, is so, he's so 
focused on that this is so important that he says daily, not just every now and then, clothe yourselves in compassion and kindness and meekness and overall with love. He says do it every day. So mentally prepare yourself when you wake up in the morning that you are dressing yourselves with all of those qualities, those descriptors of what it means to be the church, to be the people of God, brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, I can almost um, hear that, that letter coming to the church of St. Paul here. Hey, St. Paul, you know, make sure that you're a church of kindness. Make sure you're a church of, of compassion. Make sure that you're a church of meekness. Don't, don't try to be the, the church that's first in everything, but be together with all the other churches in the community, knowing that your work together is what really makes the difference. And Paul says those things, same things to us. But let me tell you what happens. And it usually happens around the holidays. We start finding out the knuckleheads in our families, right? I mean, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because uh, I'd have to raise mine. Who's got knuckleheads in their family? We all do, okay? We all have people in our families that, that we sit there and we think about, oh, gosh, we're going to gather at that event, and I'm going to have to spend a couple of hours with, like Thanksgiving dinner. I mean, who's got a cousin Eddie in the family? Anybody? I mean, you know, the guy that kind of just rolls in with the RV. Uh, you haven't seen him. He, he, uh, he's riding in on fumes, and, and he's just kind of there, and they're just kind of, they're awkward, and he tears up all your decorations and stuff. I mean, you know, so this is the kind of person that, that we've got to think about. You know, we have this. And Paul says that even, when the, even with the knuckleheads in our life, even the dysfunctions that we have in our families, he says this. He says, put up with one another. Bear with one another. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. You know, it goes back to this image, wear love. So it's like putting it on, wear love. And I went back and I looked at the word love and I, and I went back and, and I looked at it in Greek. So here, here's the challenge that we have in reading scripture. Our American language, our English language, we have a word that we use that has all sorts of different meanings. The Greeks don't do that. They, they actually have words with specific meanings. So we can use the word love in English and that can mean that I love my wife. It can mean that I love my dog. It can mean I love pizza. It can mean I love this, I love that. And it just has a scattered meaning. But the Greeks, they use different forms of the word love. So when I looked at what is the word that Paul is using when he says put on love and love one another, he's not using the word of friendship, philios. He's not using that. He's not using the word eros, which is erotic love that we have in our intimate relationship. He's not using that. He's actually using the word agape. And agape is like God love. It's, it's a love that is beyond all loves. It is the love that is, is, is of God himself. And that's the love that he's talking about. And he's saying, don't just be friends with people. Don't just have, you know, like fantasies with, your, with the ones that you're in relationship with. He's like, love them like God loves them. Love them like God loves you unconditionally in that. So in verse 15, he says, let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other and in step with each other. Now, this would be great if this is how we, the people of the church, lived our day. If we together loved each other, forgave each other. But, but let me tell you, have you ever been a part of a church where, where maybe Christ wasn't the leader or the head of the church? Let me tell you how you can figure those churches out. They're the churches that are led by man, man, woman, human beings. They're the churches that are fighting. They're the churches that are bickering. They're the churches that are nitpicking at each other. They're the churches that are finding faults with each other. They're the people of God that when they gather, they forget who the head of the church is. They forget who the foundation is. They forget that Christ is the, the, the cornerstone and they run the church themselves. These are folks who, who want to be a church community, and they want it to be like Burger King, okay? Remember that old phrase? They want to have it their way. 
And when they don't get it their way, they get all upset. And they get all um, off on people. And, and we see that's not what Jesus wants the church to be. Paul says that, that if you find yourselves in, 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 in that and you find yourself straying away from the love of Christ, then try this. He says, sing songs out loud to God. No matter how bad your voice is, sing hymns, he says. Sing heart, with a heart of gratitude, spiritual songs, and use those as songs that, that truly seek out the love of God. Then he ends the statement with this. He says, let every detail in your lives, let your words, your actions, whatever, he says, let those things be done in the name of the Master Jesus, thanking God the Father every step of the way. So no matter what's going on, no matter how you're choosing to deal with people, he says that you need to look at it in this way, that, that, that you need to be thanking God the Father every step of the way in the relationships that you have, especially with fellow believers. So what that translates to is, he says that it, it's hard to grumble, it's hard to fight, it's hard to gossip, it's hard to stir up dissension with hatred, it's hard to have a, a bad discourse, it's hard to, to show jealousy and wrath and outbursts of anger, all the things that he mentions in Galatians 5. He says it's hard to do that when you are doing it in the name of the Lord. So do you see the difference? That when we do life together in the name of the Lord, those things those offenses that he outlines in Galatians 5 shouldn't come into play. And that's how we know the church is filled with good people. The church is good people. So here's the, here's the second thing I want to say. So first of all, we, we've got to, you know, we've got to you know, get to know each other. We've got to you know, deal with each other, so, so to speak. Here's the second one. If you're in the church long enough, you're going to get offended. I don't know how else to say that. I said that at the last service, and I heard some snickering and giggling going on. And, and the truth is, if you're in the church long enough, you're going to get offended. Think about how long you've been in the life of a church person, how long you've been a church person. And in those lives that you've been, have you not been offended from time to time? Whether it's what the preacher has said, whether it's what somebody else has done, whether you went to check your kids off at the children's ministry and the children's director didn't talk to you quick enough and you got offended by that, whether it's a student ministry and you got offended at something that a, a youth worker did, or whether it's you called the church office and they didn't pick up on the first ring, or you sent an email to the pastor and he didn't answer it in, in like less than 20 minutes. We get offended by so many things. And what we learn about is if, if you're in the church long enough, you just have to understand this. You're going to be offended in some way. So, so let's just kind of toss this out. So, so the odds are that many of us have been offended with the people of the church. We handle it one of two ways. A, we handle it and, and we just kind of take it. It happens and we don't want to say anything because, you know, we don't want conflict. I don't want conflict. I don't want to deal with that. So we just kind of stuff it down and it just kind of like boils over and it becomes like a volcano and it like blows up one day. And that's when we find out that we're angry at each other and we start at each other and pointing fingers and things like that. Remember what the scriptures say. The scriptures said, I think it was James that said, you know, don't let anger happen because anger causes you to sin. The second, the second way we deal with this is um, it's the person that wants everybody to know that they're ticked off. You know those people? They send out tweets, they send out Facebook posts, they're Instagramming, they're, they're, they're texting, they're calling on the phone, they're doing everything. They want everybody to know they're not happy by what happened within their church. And they were offended by something and they want the whole world to know. And they want to make sure that every single person knows how they feel. Those are the two extremes. 
Those are the two extremes that we normally have. I had a friend tell me one time, he's a, he's a colleague, he's a pastor, he said that there's no one offended more in the church than the person who's preaching. Think about that. So, so some people, and we'll talk about this in a second, some people actually leave the church because they were offended by something. And we're going to look at what Jesus says about that in a second. They leave their church, their community, their brothers and sisters in Christ that they're doing life together because they're angry at something. Remember I just said what my colleague said? There's, some, there's no one more offended in the church than the preacher. Listen, I get offended all the time. Some stuff I get thrown at me, if I left the church every time someone offended me in the church, I'd be changing churches every hour. Seriously. You can't do that. Jesus says there's a way to deal with these so that we can have good people, we can function well as the people of God in the life of the church. So here's what he says. I want to take us to Matthew 18. This is the passage that a lot of us have read. A lot of us will shake our heads. We know what this means. We know what it says but we don't use it. We don't abide in it. But yeah, it's what Jesus said, but, but that's what other people are supposed to do. So we're going to look at in Matthew chapter 18. I want to kind of walk us through how we're to handle conflict between believers and Jesus Christ. We're all believers. We're all part of the faithful. This is the model. Jesus doesn't say this is how you handle conflict with non-believers. He said this is how you handle it with believers, okay? Big difference here. So here's what he says. If a fellow believer hurts you, go tell them. Go tell him or her. Work it out between the two of you. And if he or she listens, you've made a friend. Another translation says, you have won your brother or your sister over. As Christians, as followers of Jesus, if we offend one another, we are to go to the person who has offended us. Notice what he says. We're not supposed to have the offender come beg and plead and grovel at our shoes and we decide whether or not we're going to forgive them, who is it that goes to whom? The offended goes to the offender. So if I make you mad, if I say something, if I don't live up to your expectation, or if I've done something that you're mad at, the scripture says you are to come to me and let me be aware of what I've done. And you're to do it privately. It doesn't say go tell the world that, that you're out of conflict or in conflict with someone or that you're out of, out of covenant. You go to the person privately and you talk to him or her and you help them to work that out. And what it says is that when you bring that before the person who has offended you, if he or she sees what's happened and understands that they have offended you, then you've accomplished the greatest goal. And what is that? That your brother or sister has been restored. Think about that. Again, he's talking about Christian to Christian. Not, not somebody you don't know who's, who's a non-believer. He's talking about when we are part of the royal law, when we are in Christ Jesus, that this, these are the steps that we're to take. Jesus says you go to the offender in private. You're to keep conflicts between other believers private. You're not supposed to drag your neighbors into this. But here's what happens. Human nature is we get We get hurt. We get disappointed, we feel crushed, whatever word you want to insert in what I'm trying to say. And what do we do? Well, we start Facebooking, well, I don't like this, and did you know that this, and, or you get on your little neighborhood networks. I actually quit the one in our neighborhood. It was supposed to be like to help people get good news and people that can help them and stuff like that, and it just turned into a, like a rant session. So, delete. 
But so we start, we start outwardly going, and what we're trying to do is we're trying to build coalitions. I want you to join me to be against them. Folks, that's called triangulation. This is, this is Relationships 101. And Jesus recognized this, that we're not to, to, to triangulate in this. Because what happens is, is I start coming to you and I start blabbing and telling you what that person has done. And all of a sudden, I'm expecting you to buy into and believe in me and to side with me. So I'm building my own little coalition. So it's, now it's many against one. But is it not true that when two people are in conflict and they tell What's going on? Is it not that both have their own point, that somewhere in the middle is the truth? Right? So, so Jesus says, stay away from that. He says, don't get into that place where you are taking this out of pocket, so to speak, taking it to the world. Go first to the offender and work it out. Let them know what's happened, and the goal is to have them restored, not to beg and grovel and, and cry at your feet and whip them until they give up, but to restore them so that you are brothers and sisters in Christ in a healthy way. When somebody tries to draw you into their conflict, when somebody tries to triangulate you, let me, let me teach you something today. So let's say I come to you and I'm telling you that, that I'm mad at Felix. This, I'm not mad at Felix, but I'm just using him as an example. So Felix is our later. I'm mad at him. And I'm coming to you and I'm trying to get you to understand why I'm mad at him. And let's say, let's say I'm, I'm talking um, to Bobby, and I'm telling Bobby about Felix and the problem that we're having. What Bobby should do, Bobby should, first of all, put his hand up and say, Bob, what did Felix say when you talked to him? That should be the first thing out of Bobby's mouth. What did Felix say when you talked to him? Okay, ouch, right? A little bit. 99% of us will have never taken that step. But Jesus says... That's the first step. So unless I have gone and talked and tried to work that out with Felix, I shouldn't be talking to anybody else. And, and, and we need to stand in the scriptures. We need not be sucked in and drawn into people's drama. What did he say? What did she say when the two of you talked about this? Okay, now, if your brother or sister does not turn over, so to speak, does not recognize and, and, and offer a way to be restored, there's, there's step two. And here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, if that doesn't work, then you go and you bring one to two people with you. One to two. Not an army. Not half the congregation. You bring one or two people with you, particularly or preferably, I should say, objective people. What do we do? We normally want to go find people who think like us, who will side with us, who, who, who want to say whatever just because we're hurting, they're going to come along and kind of be our lapdog and just, no, take somebody who's objective. Let me tell you, there's been times that I have been upset with somebody. I've tried this process and I've gone to two people because step one didn't happen the way that I had hoped. And I went to two people and I explained it. You know what they said to me? Why is this an issue? You're the one who's wrong. They didn't do anything wrong. You're reading it wrong. You need to stop, Bob. So get one to two people who are objective so that, Jesus says, the presence of the witnesses will keep things honest. And try it again so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two to three people. Jesus says, take one to two people. Notice it's still private. It's not public. It's not out on Facebook. It's not out on Instagram. It's not, it's not being tweeted. 
It's you and the person. Now you've brought two other people so that you can, and the term for that is, is that in presenting this to the offender, what is the goal? That the person sees their ways and turns over a new life and reestablishes that covenantal relationship with you, their brother or sister in Christ, okay? So Jesus says, take that. You see, but, but we wanna take dissension. We wanna create ill feelings. And Paul says, gossipers will never inherit the kingdom of God. So don't gossip about it. Go to the person and handle it. So here's the final step. So, so step one, go to the person privately. If they won't, if they won't you know, come to terms with you and understand, take one or two people. If that doesn't happen, here's step three. If they still won't listen, then you tell the church. If they won't listen to the church, you'll have to start over from scratch, confront them with a need for repentance, and offer God's forgiving love. Another translation says, if they, if they won't listen to the church, then you treat them like a non-believer. It says a Gentile. That's what a non-believer is, a Gentile. Somebody who doesn't know Jesus. Treat them like that, because that's how they're acting. Now, I, had a, I, I taught this in a church, a couple churches ago, and, and I had a guy come to me afterwards, and he said, so, so am I supposed to just like come on the stage and say, excuse me, pastor, move over. Um, hey, church, I, I've got this problem. Am I supposed to? And I'm, no, 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 no. That's not what this means. I do not believe that Jesus meant that we're to humiliate our brothers and sisters before the body. I do not believe that. What I believe he means when he says come to the church is the leaders of the church. Come to your pastor. Come to your lay leader. If you're a church with elders, come to your elders. Come to your leaders of the church and let the leaders of the church help navigate this situation. By then, it's probably out anyway. And help to navigate and to bring the body together the best that it can. So let, let me leave you with this. Very often, when, when we're offended by another person in the church, oftentimes I have discovered, more times than none, the offender has no idea that they've offended you. You're all worked up, you're all happy, unhappy, you're, you're, you're devastated. I'm not trying to discount that because that's how you feel. But the odds are that the offender doesn't even know that that's happened to you. That's why you go to them. Hey, I felt like you snubbed me today. Hey, I asked you to pray for me and you just blew me off and all you wanted to talk about was the baseball game. It hurt, okay? A friend of mine, which is a friend of yours, many of you, um, we've, uh, we've known Jeanette Burton. Jeanette uh, was a, a retired pastor. She, she died a couple of weeks ago. Her memorial services are gonna be on November the 11th in this room at 11 o'clock. So Veterans Day, 11 a.m., right here with Jeanette. Jeanette told me one time when I was visiting with her, she said, we were talking about relationships, and she said, she said the, the most devastating thing that happened to me as a pastor was a relationship. I said, well, what happened? She said, I was at church one day and there was a lady that I was friends with and, you know, and she was at church every Sunday and, and one Sunday after church, she just kind of bolted out, didn't say goodbye, and I knew that wasn't like her. So Jeanette said, so I went home and I called her on the phone and, and she wouldn't answer the phone. I tried multiple times that day to call her on the phone, she wouldn't answer the phone. She said, I drove by, this is before the internet, I, I drove by her house, I knocked on her door, and she wouldn't answer the door. I knew she was there. Her car was there. She wouldn't answer it. I, 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 I tried my best to connect, and, and I don't know what happened. And she wouldn't listen. She wouldn't come to me. She wouldn't do anything. 
A little over a year after that happened, the woman still wasn't coming back to the fellowship of believers. Jeanette decided, I'm going to write her a letter. And she wrote a letter, and it said pretty much, I've noticed that this has happened, and I, obviously you're upset at me. So I don't know what I've done, but whatever it is, I'm sorry. Can we get back to normal life together? Talk to me. Well, that following Sunday, guess who came back to the Fellowship of Believers? The woman, after a year and a half, she was gone, off the face of the earth. And she finally met Jeanette at the door, and Jeanette said, I'm so glad you're back. What happened? And the woman looked at her and said, that last Sunday I was in church, you were talking to two people, and I walked in, and I waved at you. You saw me because you waved back, but then you turned around and started the conversation back with those two people again. You snubbed me. You offended me. Jeanette had no idea. Had no idea. That's why it's important. And that's why I believe Jesus says that the step here is if you were the offended and your brother or sister in Christ has offended you, you go and you let them know, I've been offended. And, and you work it out. So, so here, here's kind of the, the piece here that, that he says at the end of Matthew um, 18. So this is verses 19 and 20. Here's what he says. Take this most seriously. A yes on earth is a yes in heaven. A no on earth is a no in heaven. And what you say to one another, listen to this, it's eternal. So what you bind on, in, on earth is bound in heaven. What you say on earth is bound and said in heaven. You are bound together eternally. He said, when two of you get together on anything at all on earth and you make a prayer of it, so we come together binding it together in the name of Jesus in prayer. He said, my father in heaven immediately, my emphasis added, immediately <clears throat> goes into action. And when two or three of you are together because of me, you can be sure that I'll be there. Another translation, where two or more are gathered in my name, I am there in the midst. You see, it's the restoration of our brothers and sisters that's most important. And nothing brings a happier heart to God than seeing the brokenness of his people restored to goodness. And that's really important. So here, here's what I want to say today. Is if, is if you are like sideways with your brother or sister in Christ, if you've been offended by somebody, a, a brother or sister in Christ, and, 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 and you just, you're carrying that, and they said something, or they didn't say something, or you didn't meet, they didn't meet your expectation, whatever that was, I hope you will take the first step. I hope that you will somehow find a way to reach out and say, I've been holding on to this. You may not even know. But I felt like on this day, on this time, you offended me by this. And I'm reaching out to you because I don't want this to be a wedge between us anymore. I want us to be conflict-free. I want us to be a church filled with good people. And give that person a chance to respond. And the goal is not that they'll grovel at your feet and beg for forgiveness and cry on you and all that other stuff. The goal is that your brother or sister will be won back and the two of you can continue to be in unity as the body of Christ. Listen, this is heavy stuff, I know. But as brothers and sisters in Christ, as Christians, we can't just say we read Scripture and that's for somebody else. It's for us. 
Jesus never said that it would be easy. In fact, he said that the, that the way is narrow. It's difficult at times. And this is one of them. So my hope is, is that we can truly love our church. We can love one another. We can put on kindness and meekness and compassion and forgiveness. And that we can live into what Jesus says here in Matthew 18.